save it for the podcast. That was the open to the podcast. How's it Let's going, Tim? It. It's going great, man. It's Let's save great. it for right now. We were, starting, we were starting to talk about stuff, and then I'm like, "Let's save it for the podcast." Right when you hit record. Yeah. So there. We, hey, I got a. I've got a uh, an Ayn Rand joke for you. Um, All right. <laughs> what What does Ayn Rand say after she gives a blowjob? What? I did it for me. <laughs> I mean, I don't see I mean, how that's particularly funny. That's hilarious, dude. That's hilarious. But I know people who really like giving those, apparently, by yep. their ad- admission, or at least one person. Who, <laughs> They're doing it for themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I want to give more context, <laughs> but not while recording. But, Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, hey, so I'm back to Canada. Yeah, thank you. To... I got I got a little uh, emotional when the customs guy said that, even though he then said I had to lock myself in a house for 14 days. Oh wow! So you got yeah, emo- yeah, because I've not been in Canada for a while, and it, the the world the world it feels tumultuous, right? So right. it's like, oh, it is. It does feel good to be home. Uh, to some extent, right? Just in and, case, you right. never know what happens. And, di- and did he give you any way to identify? Did he give you any papers to say that you have to be? You have to no, I was wondering. Did, like, did, do did he give you like a, a symbol to put on yourself? I don't know. A right? Yeah, I was like wondering. If, I was actually wondering. Do they like? Yeah, do they tattoo me or do they like give a stamp on my forehead or something? No. So my customs paper that like they have on file in some pile of papers somewhere says like some, some notation that's like self-isolation or something. Cause it's not the normal like mark I get when I come into Canada. Right. So they have it on file somewhere, but nothing for me. And so if anyone is wondering, of course, I've not even stepped foot outside of my house. The groceries right. have just magicked into my fridge. Um, right. Right. But uh, yeah, so I'm one week into my two week complete shutdown and isolation. But that's the first thing I wanted to because I was really thinking about, you know, I got very shamed by friends when I mentioned I might not do it, even though, of course, I'm fully doing it now. Um, And they were like really visceral in their like anger, it seemed irrationally so that well, and also People were like, but it's going to the grocery store that I thought I might go to the grocery store. Yeah. Allegedly. allegedly. Um, And I also thought how like people were like, but it's the law. You can't break the law. And it's like these people smoked weed before it was, uh, you know, legal. Uh, I was breaking other laws in my traveling because of, you know, work situations and stuff. And they thought that was all fine. But like now that this is the law, God forbid you break the law. So that was really interesting to me. But also I was thinking, it weighed in my brain and I was trying to think really like, okay, no, is it actually that bad? Should I really not leave? Because God forbid something, like what is my actual independent thinking on it? And I couldn't get away from the thought that it was completely arbitrary because I was coming from the US, which still has like relatively open borders with Canada for essential people. I was coming from complete isolation in Alabama, traveling yeah. on a pretty empty airplane. And they were like, but it's air travel. You're in this tube. 
But if I was traveling from Vancouver to Toronto, there's no right. law about isolation. I could be traveling course, for yeah. longer on a fuller yeah. plane. So it just seemed completely, okay, if I was coming from New York where there, or like a center of activity, then sure, maybe it makes sense. But just like a blanket, the entire country of the United States, I was like, this is so stupid. But it just shows the kind of lack of thought yeah, so I guess, uh, I mean, you're just supposed to starve at home for two weeks. And, right. Uh, I mean, did, did, does the government have any programs where they'll deliver you food after they, I mean, this is a thing, right? I mean, like they're, they're busting our kneecaps here and then kind of offering to give us shitty crutches, right? They Like they, they're right. shutting down all this employment. They are, but then they're saying, well, we'll send you checks, um, you know, in the mail or something like that. Um you know, because we've just caused you economic damage, I guess you can make an argument that, yeah, maybe the government should, should do that. But um, what about, what about uh, causing you a life stoppage? Basically they're saying you have to isolate. You can't even go out and get food. Right. Um, What are they going to do? Like, what do they expect you to do? Apparently if you prove to them or make the argument that you can't return home or something, they have like government quarantine facilities. So you can go to government jail for two weeks oh, of some sort. You should have done that, man. Why didn't you do that? Well, I thought about it and I was like, well, I free rent, right? Free yeah. food potentially. Yeah. Um, I also thought about that. I heard a story about my uncle. Um, like my uncle was a Holocaust survivor, got shot and lost a kidney. And then he was walking around New York in the past carrying a gun. And his cousin was like, what? Like, do you have a license for that? Like, what are you going to do? And he's like, what are they going to do? Worst case, I'm in jail for a month. And so I was thinking that way too. Like, oh man, if they do arrest me, like I'll just go sit in jail for two months. Meanwhile, yes. I told my sister, they're actually in the U.S. letting people out of prison because they don't want everyone in prison Dude. to get the coronavirus. Right, so- <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a real, that's hilarious, man. You know, you should you should go go to jail and, and put a Star of David on your thing and do like podcasts from jail or something. Right. Like, that or take some pictures and you know maybe you could start the revolution <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's all just so so bizarre what what so it's kind of just we're like every time we talk now it's just kind of like trying to pull together threads of what's been going on because it seems so kind of it still seems nonsensical to me and I think last time we talked a bit about the changing or the new predictions of death rates and stuff and so now the U, the, right. the white house has officially said they expect about a quarter million deaths in the u.s which is still yeah it's a lot of people but before they were saying over two million was the model that freaked right. everyone out right so it's like yes a quarter million yeah. is still bad but it's 10 percent of what actually caused this freak out um and but people are still yeah. freaking out uh and the other, the last thing that's like the thread on my mind is I've read apparently that China just didn't count people who tested positive if they were asymptomatic and they're potentially just testing way less now generally, which is why their numbers are so low. So I don't know. And there's also yeah. all of this, one last yes. thing, all of this stuff about the World Health Organization not recognizing Taiwan and Taiwan's doing a really good job, but the WHO is just in China's pocket. And why is the U S paying for it? If it's not even honest. And 
mm. all that fun stuff. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of fuckery going on with numbers for sure, right? And it's not necessarily even the authorities that are doing it, although. You know, I think the WHO was pretty irresponsible in saying that the death rate is 3.4% and then having, you know, early on and, and then having uh, Vox, you know, they, they're doing side-by-side -side comparisons with the flu saying the flu's death rate fatality rate is 0.1%, uh, coronavirus is 3.4% when they are using totally different methodologies to come to those, you know, the flu's right. uh, fatality rate is is not using the same methodology as corona if it was it would show the flu's fatality rate at uh at closer to eight or ten percent fatality mm -hmm. rate because the who is doing confirmed cases of coronavirus those who have tested positive versus those who have died from it right and so if we use that methodology with the flu we're getting closer to 10 percent in the last flu season when they had i think 240,000 confirmed cases right right and around 22,000 deaths or something like that. I think I read in this past season. So that's almost 10%. But we know that millions, uh, tens of millions of people actually got the flu. And so uh, we're not counting those people because they were never confirmed. And so if mm -hmm. we're looking at coronavirus, um, you know, and then the other other thing is people, I'm getting people trying to correct me or, or pointing out or trying people that are clutching their pearls, right? They're, they're scared of this thing and rightfully so. They don't know what to believe. And they're like, oh, you know, the actual way to determine a fatality rate is how many people recover versus how many people die. And then they look at the number of recovered people and it's even less than the number of confirmed cases, right? So maybe only half the confirmed cases have recovered so far. And then they're dividing that by the death rate or, or by the number of deaths and they're getting closer to 20%. <laughs> right and I, right. I'm, I'm like trying to it's difficult because people are panicked right now to explain to them okay the least accurate number you're going to get is those people who have been confirmed to recover um because how many of how many of us contact our doctor when we recover from the flu and let them know hey doc just to let you know yeah i recovered from the flu everything's good right, right? so most people are not likely to get tested for coronavirus because a there's a shortage of tests there's just not enough tests to go around to test everyone right now uh and b they're either mild or asymptomatic and so they're not even going to know to get tested um mm -hmm. and 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 then what's even less accurate then is to take the, the out of the pile of the fraction of the people that have coronavirus that are, are test positive um to to further narrow it down to just those people who report to authorities that they've recovered uh, so that it can be documented that they've recovered, um, right. you know, yeah. So the fatality rate's going to look a lot higher. So the, the reality is we, we're not going to know what the fatality rate is probably for a couple of years, really. Uh, what they what they would need to do to to determine a real fatality rate is is test everyone in the whole population, and that means um, not just the the PCR test where they test to see if you're actually currently infected. Right, uh, but the antibodies you might have been is. infected and recovered, right, and not know it. They have to test for antibodies as well. So yeah. you have to do a PCR and an antibody test. And you have to do a PCR because if if you're currently infected, if you're close to the beginning of your infection, you're not going to have antibodies yet. Um, so you have to do both tests on everyone. Right. And then you'll figure out, okay, how many people were actually infected or have been infected and how many people uh, have died. Or, you know, the next best thing, and, and I think this is how they do it to determine flu fatality rates, 
over the years, they've done random samplings of the population during flu seasons or flu pandemics to figure out what percentage of the population has got this thing and then extrapolate numbers from there. So that's uh, not quite as accurate as testing everyone, but it, it's a closer approximation and it's far more accurate than the numbers we're getting right now from all the authorities, which are just best guesses, uh, basically. Well, they're, they're not, they're, they're hard data, but they, they don't tell the whole story at all. Right. Just looking at one little group of people and we don't know the vast number of people that actually do have this. Yeah. The, it's still just the most interesting thing to me is that like you are one of the only people I can talk to about this in any sort of calm and rational way which is quite frustrating. And it's actually this, this has highlighted to me in particular how little respect I have for some people on the political left that I right. thought I respected, at least in their position, right? Mm -hmm. But like someone applauding that, oh, there was a group of 20 hanging out together and thank goodness they're getting fined and, and things like yeah. that. And so it's really just bizarre to me. And like I said, that, um, you know, friends of mine were like quite angry that I was making my own decision. And it's like, what, they don't even know why they think I should self quarantine for two weeks other than they've been told like, yeah, yeah. and, don't and they science bro. Right, exactly. And it's really like this. Well, what does science say about me not being able to eat? Right. What, what exactly. Does the science have anything to say? about? And this is the thing that bugs me, right? Someone else said, someone else pointed, uh, put a, a map up on uh, that showed, what, what did it show now? It showed uh, people who aren't self-isolating or something like that. And it's just a map of the U.S. And it shows very clearly that the southern states aren't self-isolating at the rate that the northern states are. And that's because the northern states um, imposed uh, quarantines or or you know, mm. more draconian measures, right? And the guy who is a former libertarian is pointing out that, yeah, these Southern people are, are dumb. They don't science. They don't know how to science. And I just commented. I said, well, science also says that if, that uh, you don't make as much money on the couch as you do going to work, right? right. And so, so, you know, um, I am, for example, still going to work because science says that if I don't pay my bills, I don't eat. Uh, right. And I would rather risk Corona than risk not eating or risk not paying my bills. Right. So, I, I mean, ultimately it comes down to your base values and, and the individual, right? Uh, you know, and he's like, well, aren't you an essential service? I'm like, yeah, but I, I can tell you right now that if I was worried, more worried about coronavirus than I was about paying my bills, I'd, I'd quit my job and I'd stay home. No one's exactly. going to go to work. So, so am, am I not following science here by going to work as a healthcare worker? Because what you're telling me is I should be staying home right now because science says self-isolate. This is dangerous. And um, yeah, I mean, he didn't really have a good answer. Uh, you know, other, then he resorted to, well, you know, this is to protect other people and, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, okay, should I, I'm seeing COVID patients and I'm seeing non-COVID patients, right? Like there's a chance in between that I could be a carrier and I'm just a vector for this virus. So right. should I just, should, should all healthcare workers avoid helping people who are sick right now because they might spread the virus to others? Um, well, no, obviously not. I mean, like, 
<laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it comes down to principles. It comes down to base value judgments. It comes down to the individual needs to be free to weigh these risks themselves. And but that's the, that's the thing that's been so surprising to me is it seems no one is even able to weigh the risks. No one is thinking at all, right. it seems, right? And so the thing, like, it'll be interesting. I, I'm wondering how long until this isolation breaks. Because I view it as inevitable. At first, I thought it's just going to be a matter of time until the politicians realize they have to let us out. But now I don't. Now I'm already less convinced of that because I read that there's been kind of unrest in Italy now. They've been locked down a bit longer than us. And then I read a report that says the Trudeau government is saying, oh, it could be until July. And so if if they really think they're going to keep everyone locked in until July, I would be very surprised if people actually did that for that long. And also, I don't understand how they or anyone else can think four months of no economy is just acceptable. How that, how like, oh, we will just keep going afterwards. It's like a pause button. Yeah, well, you know, and and here's the thing. Most political jurisdictions... um, with the exception of Ontario, we're recording this on, on Friday, April, what is the date today? April 2nd or 3rd. Today, Doug Ford is supposed to come out. They, he said that they, that they will reveal their modeling and their predictions and, and all the, the data that they're using, right? Up until now, all these governments, the federal government, Alberta government, all, all these jurisdictions have been hesitant to release their modeling. And I suspect the reason is that the modeling shows dire predictions. In other words, it, it may be that the modeling shows that um, it's going that, that in order to to suppress this virus, we need a shutdown for 18 months uh, in order to have any significant effect on the virus. While people aren't going to put up with 18 months, there's no way they're already getting restless after one month. I've heard right? my I've heard friends say, of course, 12 to 18 months. Of course, what like okay, if that's well, what if that's what the good is. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, they say that though, but they. When when they stop getting government checks or like they can't pay the bills or, you know, various things, then why is the government running out of paper? They can't print us money anymore. Why can't they <laughs> well, send maybe, us checks? Who knows? Maybe exactly. Maybe, maybe they can. I don't know. I don't know if they. But, can. But sorry, but yeah. So at some point, at some point, if if this lockdown, like they're going to notice it, right? Because supply chains are already being disrupted, and for sure, in eighteen months, supply chains will be really disrupted. Um, but what do you mean? Say, Consumption drives the economy. As long as we're yeah. buying things, of course, stuff will get produced, Tim. Yeah, I know these guys are, but, <laughs> but I mean, and so the other flip side of this is on the other hand, if the government shows them us our, the data and says, well, a two to three month shutdown, isn't going to have a significant impact on this. then people are going to be, well, why are we shut down then? Right. Shut down for what? Like, let us go to work. Let's, well, exactly. Let's uh, isolate the vulnerable and let the rest of us carry the risk. Well, I mean, but that's what should have happened in the first place, right? So it's... In, right. Yeah. So, so this is why I think they're hesitant to release it because they're in a real quandary. They either have to confirm that, yeah, we're going on lockdown for an extended period, or they have to admit that the short-term lockdown that they were talking about isn't going to work as effectively as they, they sold it to us as and right now people are already starting to get upset they're already starting to question like you know what's going on conspiracy theories are starting to pop up everywhere because people are like they sense something is some fuckery is is going on here and they don't like to be controlled and they're 
you know. Yeah, and I mean, I, I haven't read too much about what's going on in Taiwan and Japan, but I've read, you know, an article about each, let's say, and they're just, yeah, functioning, right? Because the right. world does have to continue. And like, I, I really just, it's really just amazing to me how clearly so few people think. I had always given people the benefit of the doubt to some degree, I suppose. Um, but this has really kind of crystallized in my mind or clarified in my mind. Um, people just don't think. It's it's so bizarre to me. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that they're scared and I don't know what to say. You know, the, the one positive thing I'm hoping comes out of this is that people will, at a certain point, um, start to realize that the government doesn't have their best interests at heart that the government or at least they're not helping even if they're they are well intended that the government is um, mm -hmm. not their friend here and that they're making things worse and and maybe they'll be a little bit more sympathetic to hearing um, why liberty is is the answer and not uh, not jackboots but right the one last thing kind of on a different you know framing of it is I read an article about HEB, the grocery store chain in Texas, which was really interesting and sort of inspiring about how well they're dealing with this crisis and how well they've activated their pandemic preparedness plan. And really about like, it's a good kind of microcosm of how the free market can actually function well, because yeah. it's in their incentive. They have a profit motive to serve their customers well, and they care. I mean, they also are the type of company that seems to really care about their employees, care about their community, which there are, those do exist and they'd exist more in a complete free market, in my opinion. But it's so interesting to see how well prepared they are and how even before the governments were doing stuff, they were talking to their contacts in China about what's going on, what are the trends of shopping. Like they had a lot like of a, you know, a further view, they were really paying attention so they could react accordingly because it really mattered to them and their company to react accordingly. So it's been really, it was a really interesting article. Um, and it shows the value of the free market and how the companies can really do this. And if we had private hospitals, you'd see it similarly, and they could have been very much preparing generally, and in advance, HEB has a like a full time position that is for like disaster preparedness for when there's hurricanes uh, and things like that as well. Uh, so it, it's just something people don't pay attention to, and it's important to. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm I'm seeing things like that all over the place too. You know, one of the things that I found interesting. You know, my son was asking me. He's home from university, and he's like, well. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of bored. I want to go make some money now. I want to get a job. And so he's looking around. Uh, anyone out there in my audience knows of any jobs a young man uh, can do around Edmonton. He's looking for outdoor work, ideally like farm or manual labor, but he'll take just about anything. Um, let me know, drop me a line. But you know, I was, I was trying to pick my brain. I'm like, you know, one area where I think there's a real market right now is security, right? Because I yeah. see at, at nursing homes, all the nursing homes I respond to, uh, I went to one the other day and they had like three, three old guys, right? Just kind of uh, manning a security desk there, right? Three residents and that they were doing their part to, to protect 
all the residents, right? I thought it was kind of cute and nice to see these guys and they're checking temperatures and they're like having people sign in and making sure only essential staff come in and stuff. I'm like, yes, this is great. They're, they're protecting this vulnerable population. Yeah. They're old birds, you know, in this home. Um, and why aren't they doing that? Maybe that this is something they should do all the time. It, you know, the flu season I've seen it ravage nursing homes and kill people. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a nasty bug too. And it's out in the wild all the time, you know? So maybe one of the good things that can come out of this is just like people are more aware now of germs and they're, they're more aware of how they spread. And, you know, just that awareness of, you know, you don't have to walk right through someone's cough all the time. You don't have to stand like one inch away from me in the, in, in the line, like maybe social, like physically distance yourself, maybe yeah, cover your face when you cough or if you're sick, stay home or wear a mask out or, you know, all these things I, I think are great social norms to learn and that can save a lot of lives. You know, I'm writing an article right now talking about how we from now on we should treat the flu the same way we treat uh covid and obviously not the draconian measures we can do without that but you know one thing the government's doing is repealing a lot of its regulation or or suspending it so like the fda is letting drugs get through letting uh lifting restrictions on masks and all these other things so that we can get ppe so it really highlights the weakness in the supply chain is the government here and mm-hmm. the government is, is pulling back and giving a lot more freedom to people in, in one area in terms of supply chain and getting us what we need and ventilators and all that kind of thing. And just imagine if those supply chains, if the, if the chains were off that uh, the free market to begin with, and we could have rapid access to ventilators and PPE and all the things that we need to do our job, you know, uh, we wouldn't have to impose all these draconian measures on the other side, because I'm told that basically all these draconian measures that are being put in place are there to prolong the pandemic, right? That they, they want to prolong this pandemic so that it doesn't peak and, it, right. and, and overwhelm us. We want to extend the pain over a longer period so it's not as intense or something like that, because yeah. ventilators, right? We're short of ventilators. Well, how many ventilators do we need to make? so that we can lift these measures. Right. Um, and that's, that's we've talked case, about right? that before, about how we need to not just focus on, oh, no, our limited capacity in healthcare. We need to focus on growing our capacity in healthcare. And I would encourage anyone to look up and read the actual truth of what's been going on with GM and they're creating ventilators. I don't know if you're the one who posted it, but there is yeah. a journalist from Detroit who was talking about how No, GM was doing a great job of actually as quickly as possible trying to ramp up so they could produce 10 times the amount of ventilators in three months. They had plans to make 200,000 ventilators, 200,000. Yeah. And, and then, so like one that shows that no companies are good. They do care about people uh, generally. And two that that specific situation was like, not accurately portrayed apparently by the white house. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Now I don't know if ventilators are necessarily the panacea that they're made out to be. I I heard that um, once these COVID patients get on a ventilator, they, they have an 80% chance of dying. Like their survival rates only 20% or something like that. Um, You know, so it seems like by the time you're on a ventilator, it's almost too late, uh, too late for, for mm-hmm. you. but you know at the same time we, we want to try to save as many lives as possible and so um it, it would be interesting to see how many lives these ventilators are saving save saving right of um the people that get on ventilators well, I, yeah i think there's this 
and I don't think we'll have time to get into this fully, but there's this idea that any minute of prolonged life is good. So even right. if this person's going to die two weeks from now on the ventilator, God, we should definitely get the ventilator and let them live that extra two weeks. There seems to be that mindset very much in the culture, which yeah. I don't necessarily know is true, right? Or is good that, oh, we should just try and prolong suffering or prolong these lives as long as possible just because. Um, yeah. That seems to be yeah. the mentality. That being said, you know, um, there have been cases of young people surviving because of the ventilator and stuff. And, mm. you know, uh, but, you know, all the, all the story, some of the stories I'm hearing about how they're coming up with a triage case of who gets a ventilator and who doesn't, right? There's yeah. some very interesting stuff out there on triage. But triage is nothing new. People are, are like grasping their, their pearl necklace at the, the idea that doctors and nurses are going to have to triage. Well, that's part of my job as on a daily basis, right? I mean, we go to a yeah. car accident and there's more patients than one ambulance can deal with. We're overwhelmed in that moment. We have to triage and we have criteria. And, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes um, we, we uh, write a person off even if they have a pulse because we know if we spend all our effort trying to resuscitate that person, two more people are going to die um, right. because we, we aren't focusing on them. And so we have a system. We've thought about this in advance. We have principles we refer to that, that way. Uh, survivability, if I have an intervention, uh, likelihood of survival, that sort of thing. And, and mm -hmm. you know, we, we weigh people against each other. And it sucks. But that's, you know, that, that's the nature of healthcare Because, you, you, you know, you, in the U.S. it has a population of 300, 300 million, roughly. Well, we're not going to have 300 million rest ventilators, right? right? And like 300 million ventilators is probably too many. A thousand is probably not enough. And we're, so how many ventilators should we have? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> that is for free market actors to decide, right? And they, they decide that based on risk, uh, based on, you know, value, all these, all these things. And when they're able point, to, that, yeah. And otherwise it's by have, government going, eating. going to have enough uh, resources for the ultimate worst case scenario. Right. And so there's going to be times when the system is overwhelmed well that's what we and, talked about anti like we've talked briefly about anti-fragile but it's really you know in engineering it's what's the factor of safety or like do you design for a 10-year flood a hundred year flood or a thousand year flood and that's a right. decision that you make right but you right yeah yeah and the other thing is to, to understand is that when you have freedom uh things aren't as as brittle and static as you need so right. you know you can do things like uh you can teach someone how to manually ventilate you know I, i've got I, I think i mentioned this before i have two daughters uh at home right now who are both paramedics who are underemployed who know how to ventilate patients manually you know so you mm -hmm. can adapt improvise overcome in certain circumstances right you, when you're it's allowed not to common for us to you know we're doing a i, I remember doing uh multi-vehicle collisions out in rural Alberta when it's just me and my partner and just soliciting help from bystanders, Ukrainian farmers who know how to use hydro, heavy hydraulic tools, give them a quick in-service on how to use the hydraulic rescue tools we carry, 
and away we go. Uh, we're getting them working the tools and helping us extricate and cut cars apart. Um, yeah. And while we do so, yeah, we're overwhelmed, but we're also free to use the resources around us and expand our capacity very quickly and get the job done. Um, and, and it's the rules that say we can't do that, that are really hindering us from being able to adapt, improvise and overcome in, in the moment. Yeah, I agree. And so hopefully we'll take, we, hopefully society takes the right messages and the right takeaways from this issue and not, yeah. uh, more government, which seems to too frequently be the case. Yeah. Social distance yourself from me. Uh, you know, you don't need to be coughing all over everyone. Be aware of the germs you're spreading. Uh, you know, like all the, those things are good, right? Uh, if, if you're, if your duty is to protect people, like, like my duty has always been to protect patients I come in contact with and to, and, and so I've always taken that very seriously because I've seen the flu decimate people. I've seen it kill toddlers. I've seen it wipe out numerous people in nursing homes. I once had a 24 year old uh, guy. I once looked after a 24 year old guy who was otherwise healthy, but needed a heart transplant because he got the seasonal flu. Uh, and these people deserve, you know, so I've always used precautions around people because I see how seriously serious pathogens can harm vulnerable and immunocompromised people. And and I'm using the exact same precautions now that I've always used. What extra precautions should I take now that I haven't been using? And now that people are seeing, you know, how, how these pathogens can wipe out and, and really hurt people, um, maybe they'll start taking these precautions now. Maybe instead of going to visit their, their grandma in a nursing home, when they've got a little tickle in their throat, they'll think twice and stay home until they're feeling 100% healthy. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I hope people pay more attention to. Uh, and if we have that, we, we don't need the draconian measures. Well, we don't need them anyways, but, um, you know, we, the, we should just live, you know, that there's a reason why Asian countries aren't spreading this thing around, but then they're able to keep things open. Uh, it's because they have this culture of, of hygiene, right? I, I was in Japan. My, my bunghole has never been cleaner because of their toilets, right? Everyone's wearing masks, you know, they're, if they're feeling under the weather, uh, they, they just throw on a mask. It's a common courtesy thing. I mean, those are great norms to have, and they protect protect us from big government in a, in one sense. I think so. All right. Hopefully, people heed your advice. Thanks, Tim. Heed my advice. Don't go.